The reading is taken from 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 22, and can be found on page 1222 of the Church Bibles. So 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. False teachers and their destruction. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man, living among them day after day, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials, and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment, while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like beasts, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Baal, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These men are springs without water, and mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ 
and are again entangled in it and overcome. They are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed to them. Of them the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus Christ and the apostles and the prophets uh, who wrote the Old Testament for us. Those very great and precious promises are brought to us today, here this morning, via the written word. And they're open to us via a preacher, uh, as that word is taught uh, to us. So when we go around, uh, perhaps we move to a place for the first time and we're looking for a church to go to. Maybe we're just exploring things for the first time. Uh, We're not sure if God is real or if church is the place to try and come and ask the questions uh, about who he is. Well, we test what is being said to us and we weigh up the one who is bringing us that message Just as we would do uh, in an important transaction involving a large amount of money, how much more so when we're seeking to discern eternal things? What is really true? Uh, Is this the genuine article in the message and the one who brings it? Or is it actually something that is merely counterfeit and where the one who is bringing it to us uh, has a malign agenda uh, that is not in our interest at all? So 2 Peter 2 is here in the providence of God that we might test the message and weigh the one who brings it to us. Now we saw when we first started looking at this passage three weeks ago and we only made it through the first three verses of the 22 so we will have to go a little faster today but we saw last time Uh, Just by way of reminder, uh, verses 1 to 3, that was the headline. Uh, There will be false teachers in the church, but God will judge them. And perhaps the first time when we uh, come to church, that's a disturbing message. I have to say, the longer you're a Christian and the uh, more uh, you engage uh, in church matters, it doesn't become any less disturbing. But it is the apostolic warning, and it is the experience of Christians in every generation. There will be men and women standing in pulpits like this up and down the land in every uh, country across the world, indeed, where there are churches who are false teachers. Peter plainly warns us that that will be the reality. He's not warning us about the cultists uh, who are easily discerned when they come to our doors. Uh, He is saying, among you, and he's writing to Christians, to a church, he's saying, among you, there will be false teachers. Again, as we saw uh, last time, uh, they uh, bring destructive heresies, but actually the word heresy just means opinion. Uh, They will come to you saying, well, yes, I know that the apostles said that, but actually I've got these new insights. Let's leave those old ones to the past. I've got a new message for you, so much more in accord with our modern generation, Uh, so much easier for people today to hear. They were saying that within decades of the apostles writing the New Testament, no surprise, they're saying exactly the same in the early 21st century. They bring their opinions, and because their opinions uh, arise out of their own imagination, or worse, well then they are indeed destructive or damnable heresies. 
not just an alternative opinion, but rather something uh, which does not come from that which God has spoken and therefore cannot save or reveal the true God to us. Now, there will be false teachers, but God will judge them. Uh, And in fact, uh, that note of judgment comes uh, in every section of this uh, chapter. Twice in these first three verses, uh, swift destruction, their condemnation hanging over them. Uh, There's a divine sword of Damocles uh, hanging over every pulpit in the land. Because God will bring to judgment those who claim to preach his word, but in fact simply open their own imaginations. They get an easier ride, perhaps, uh, or for some other uh, man-centered motive. So because judgment is coming, this is the bit we didn't get onto last time, uh, for all of God's people, not just for those uh, who are teachers, uh, because judgment is coming upon the world, therefore we must trust the Lord and pursue righteousness. That's the reactive responsibility of every one of us. When we deal with false teachers, most of us will never be uh, um, formally recognized teachers. Uh, But all of us have a responsibility to live in the light of judgment uh, by trusting the Lord and pursuing righteousness. And three examples, all taken from the first uh, third of the book of Genesis. Uh, The first one is, uh, in a sense, the most uh, obscure Uh, It comes from the very beginning uh, of Genesis uh, chapter 6. An unnatural union between angels and uh, human women that brings judgment to both the angels and humanity. Uh, That first example just saying, no one escapes God's judgment. The first example uh, has no light in it. Then the second two uh, examples, that of the flood uh, and of Sodom, Uh, Well, the similar pattern uh, is taught us here uh, in both. The ancient world uh, faced the judgment of God in the deluge, in the flood, uh, in the days of Noah. And that flood encompassed everyone, because everyone in their hearts had turned away from God, just as every human being instinctively by nature does. And because all had turned away from God, all were judged all died, apart from those whom God called to trust him and to board that ark. And Noah, uh, as uh, with Lot as well, uh, although they were righteous men in the sense that they trusted the Lord and he gave them of his own righteousness, they were not good men. Read those stories in Genesis uh, again and you'll find that both Lot and Noah uh, were deeply flawed men morally. Uh, they're not held up to us as perfect men, but rather men who trusted God. And because they trusted him, uh, he gave of them his righteousness. He rescued them from his judgment. Well, that was the case uh, with Noah, uh, who was uh, a preacher of righteousness. We don't know uh, whether he preached any sermons, but uh, whether it was uh, a verbal preaching or whether it was simply the act of building an ark in the desert uh, that was itself, as it were, a, an acted parable that he was trusting in a different narrative for what was going to happen in the future uh, to what those around him thought. Nevertheless, he held out that message, but only in the end, eight, boarded the ark to be saved. No, judgment was coming, and apart from God's grace was inescapable, a grace received by normal sinful people by faith. You feel how that applies to us? We live, uh, because we were born among them, in a race of people who instinctively turn away from God. And yet God has offered us rescue. 
not now in a physical ark, but in the Lord Jesus Christ, invites us to put our trust in him that we might be rescued until that final day of judgment comes to hold out that hope to our fellow sinners that they too might come on board and be rescued. Well, then Sodom and Gomorrah uh, is the third example. The same message, though, uh, judgment is coming, so trust the Lord and pursue righteousness. Sodom uh, is a byword. Uh, It always has been a byword for sin. Uh, Nowadays, it's a byword for Christian embarrassment about the Bible's teaching on sin. We have to say, if we read carefully, uh, that the sin of Sodom was more than sodomy. And I'll take a moment on this because it is so uh, important. But it was not less either. That's an ugly word, isn't it? And we rarely use it these days. Uh, I only mention it here because we know the place in the Bible from which it comes. So what was the sin of Sodom that brought them judgment and that meant that only Lot and his immediate family escaped as they trusted the Lord? And in the context of the book of Genesis... Uh, sexual union uh, was to be expressed within and only within the divine pattern of marriage. That was how God made the world, and we've all sinned and fallen short of that. And in his pattern, uh, sexual union was to be heterosexual, monogamous, and consensual. When you read the ugly account of Sodom, uh, what you find is that all three marks of the divine pattern were rejected. It was sexual sin that was homosexual, but it was also promiscuous and violent. And it is not, uh, as sometimes uh, Christians have been caricatured as preaching, that the sin of Sodom was purely homosexual sex, but neither was that out of the picture. It was rather uh, a whole-scale rejection of God's ordering of divine, uh, of human uh, intimacy. So it was a rejection of the Lord for which they were condemned, expressed by them in homosexual, promiscuous, and violent sexual behavior. So think carefully on those things. Often we're told it must be one or the other. Read carefully. And we see here not a castigation of one particular group of people for their sexual preferences, but rather a judgment on those who reject the Lord and all his word and ways. And again, the rescue comes because God is gracious uh, for Lot and very much uh, a sinful man and yet one who trusted uh, in the Lord's promises. And so verse 9 is the uh, application uh, of those three uh, examples uh, for us uh, that Peter uh, brings. If this is all so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials. And if we do trust him and we do uh, uh, sit faithfully under his word, then the trials will come, and he knows how to rescue us, uh, while holding the unrighteous for the day of judgment, while continuing their punishment, a a sense there uh, that once we die and go to the Lord, our punishment begins, uh, even before the great and terrible day of judgment, if we have not come to Christ for his mercy. So judgment is coming. Trust the Lord and pursue righteousness. That is, hold out this word and live under it yourself imperfectly doubtless and with regular and renewed repentance but be someone who trusts the word and it doesn't listen to the majority voice of the world well how then shall we spot these false teachers that's uh, what we're going to spend the rest of our time on uh, this morning these ones who uh, preach a message that the masses love because it indulges uh, their desire 
to continue far from God and away from his authority. Four ways to spot false teachers. Now, the first thing about them is that they despise authority. Now, again, this is a dense passage, and we haven't got time uh, to look in detail uh, in these uh, verses uh, at all. But what seems to be going on, this is verses 10 uh, through to 13 here, uh, as uh, Peter is uh, looking back uh, to an occasion told in Jewish uh, stories uh, of a dispute between uh, the archangel and uh, uh, the devil over the body of Moses. Don't worry about that at the moment. Uh, that would have been familiar to Peter's uh, readers, uh, even it is, as it is not uh, to us. Uh, but his point is that angels are obedient messengers. Uh, they do not uh, take into their own hands uh, the right to pronounce uh, or um, authoritatively uh, the way in which uh, God will deal with people or angels. They don't alter the message of their master. Even when they're in a position of power and privilege over others, they will not alter that message to suit their own agenda. And so these great, mighty messengers of God are humble before the Lord and his word. That seems to be the point that Peter is making here. But these men, these false teachers who have arisen uh, within the church, well, no, they just despise authority. And what is God's authority in his church? Well, uh, look back in this chapter. It is, uh, first of all, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Uh, verse 2, the sovereign Lord who bought them. Jesus, who died on the cross to buy us back from our sins and then rose from the dead to exercise his sovereign rule over all. They denied Jesus. He's the Lord of the church. But how does the Lord Jesus exercise his authority over the church. Well, Peter's told us. He's told us in the end, uh, the second half of chapter 1. He does it through his word. He entrusted the apostolic eyewitnesses with his word. Uh, They did not follow cleverly invented stories, but they bring the authority of uh, Jesus' teaching to us, and we have their words, and the prophets carried along uh, by the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. So where is the authority of Jesus Christ to be found in his church today? Not in me, but in this, in God's word. The apostolic witness, the prophetic record. So the first thing you do to spot a false teacher is you will see them as someone who despises the authority of God's word. If you weigh up their teaching holding it up to the light to see whether it has that watermark and metal strip running through it, uh, if it were a 50-pound note, uh, then you will see that in practice these teachers have little room for the Bible. Or actually, they do speak from the Bible, but only part of the Bible. The parts of the Bible they personally approve of. The parts of the Bible they think will get a good hearing in the world today. They will speak lots uh, in our current climate of God's love, but very little of God's judgment, for example. They will cherry-pick that which we all like to hear and which will get a good hearing, uh, but they will not simply open the storeroom and say, here is all of God's word. They will despise authority. Uh, They themselves will determine the parts that they will bring you. 
And if they come across a passage, and I was hearing this only yesterday, if they come across a passage whose teaching they do not like, then what they will often say is, well, this is a difficult passage to understand, so let me tell you what I think. Or I've read a book which says that there's another way of interpreting this. It's a clever uh, uh, way of doing so. No one in the history of the church has thought about doing it before, but because there are multiple opinions, heresies, I'm going to choose the one uh, that I think you will most want to hear and that will make me look wisest in your eyes. Oh, Peter says, remember those angels who, entrusted with the very message of God, exercised humility before the master and his word. If we were to go to another part of the scriptures uh, to look at this positively, how would we spot a true teacher? Well, then... Paul says in a very similar context, uh, writing uh, of those whose teaching, he says, is gangrenous, uh, such as its effect uh, on those who hear it. Uh, In contrast to them, he says to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. In other words, there's no cleverness or pretense or selectivity. It's here, so he brings it to those who hear him. He's not acting as the uh, effective authority, uh, rather is simply letting God speak plainly from his word. Uh, Those who despise authority, these are men who blaspheme, Peter says, verse 12, in matters they do not uh, understand. They speak only that which they think will be well heard, not that which God has truly spoken. I deliberately decided this morning uh, that I wasn't going to illustrate with particular uh, names or modern movements. I want to give you principles uh, rather than let us get stuck on particular examples. But learn this as the first way of spotting a false teacher. Uh, Do they sit under the word or are they over it? Do they preach what is in it without fear or favor, knowing that some will like some sermons and others really, really won't? But they don't care. Because all they want to do is sit under the authority of God and his word. Or do they exalt themselves over it to get a good hearing, to appear wise and sophisticated in this modern world with its predilections? Enough on that. Second uh, point, they never stop sinning. Uh, If the first uh, one is to be marked by those who say, well, did God really say, can we really trust? Uh, Their second one, uh, and this is what makes their religion really popular, is that it has no repentance. It's a message of God loves you just as you are, to which all of us with an open Bible say, amen, if that is not true, we are lost. But then they stop. There is no, because God loves us and has given us his son, and when we trust in him, now we belong to him, and therefore let's encourage one another to pursue holiness, to follow Jesus as our master, to uh, encourage one another to turn away from those things in our lives so precious to us that are displeasing to him, and therefore we will repent of them. On that part, their message is silent. There is no repentance in their religion. Uh, Rather, uh, there is just indulgence. Uh, It's an indulgence uh, that is uh, practiced by themselves as well as encouraged amongst those who hear them. Their idea of pleasure, we're halfway through uh, verse 13, uh, is to carouse, to drink heavily in uh, broad daylight. Their blots and blemishes 
Uh, And Peter, in the next chapter, says uh, exactly the opposite of those words uh, in terms of who we are to be. Look at verse, uh, just briefly ahead, verse 14 of the next chapter. Dear friends, uh, since you are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth, the home of righteousness, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Well, where to be spotless and blameless? These false teachers are spotted and blameworthy. The same words are used uh, in the reverse here. With their eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They're experts uh, in greed. There are no new sins around. And there are no new temptations around. There are no new struggles around. Indulgence in alcohol, indulgence in sexual desire, indulgence in greed. They were around in the first century. I think they're in Hartford today. And they're in all our hearts as well. Again, remember with all of this, it isn't a matter of us pointing the finger out to others. That's not the issue at all. No, when we hear these sins exposed, if we're Christian people, we will say, Lord, have mercy on me. Because I know of my own struggles. I know I've sinned in these and many more areas as well. Thank you for your mercy. Now please strengthen me that I might walk righteously. That I might resist these temptations. I know I'll still fall. But is there a serious intent to walk in the way of the Lord? Or is there this cheap grace and religion without repentance that says, God loves me. He'll forgive me. That's his job. Now, I'm just going to get on and live exactly the way I want to do. Now, Balaam is such uh, a a chilling example here of the false uh, teacher. Uh, Because Balaam, if you read the story uh, back in the book of Numbers, uh, he was someone who knew God's word. Uh, God spoke to him as a prophet uh, very clearly, and he knew exactly what God's word was to Israel. God was determined to bless Israel. And uh, you can read the story. And um, uh, the pagan king hires Balaam to curse the people of Israel. And because uh, Balaam loves the wages of wickedness, he tries. But every time he tries, he can't. Because God's word keeps coming out of his mouth. Uh, And in the end, he's rebuked uh, by a donkey. Uh, and it's uh, a wonderfully comic uh, story uh, that, that God uses the donkey to say to him uh, where he has gone so wrong. Uh, and he fails to persuade God to change his view of Israel. At that point of the story, we think, wonderful, uh, God's true word has prevailed. Balaam has failed. A little later in the story of the book of Numbers, and this is where it's become so chilling, having persuaded to fail, uh, failed to persuade God to change his view of Israel, he successfully persuades Israel to change her view of God. He persuades Israel to believe that you can trust in the God who has saved you and indulge in sexual immorality. And that's where the message needs no updating at all. God's word is clear to us. And on this matter of sexual immorality, uh, we're living not in the 21st century, but the first century. The world into which the New Testament was born was a world that cherished every sexual vice and trumpeted it as freedom. And into that world, Christ came to sexually depraved sinners, as well as every other kind of sinner, uh, to bring us his forgiveness 
but also to bring us that call to repentant living and a new power by his Holy Spirit that we might pursue holiness in that as every area. Well, Balaam succeeded. The children of Israel uh, went to the Sabbath uh, gathering on the Saturday, and then they went back to indulge in sexual immorality with the Moabites. And God brought terrible judgment on the people in those days. Do we need to hear a warning more clearly than that in this generation as God's people today? That's what the false teachers are seeking to do. You can have Christ. You can have the church. You can have your Christian faith. And you can add on to it any sexual practice that you choose. And we will call it freedom. Now that way brings God's judgment. And again, let me say this again. It's not us saying those people out there have done bad things and we are the good ones. It is all of us who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It is all of us who are compromised, all of us who are by nature condemned, all of us of a nature that is turned away from God, and God has loved us as we are. That's half the gospel. Heresy is always half true. But God's gospel does not leave us merely forgiven. It transforms us. Uh, into a new and holy life. The Holy Spirit comes that we may begin to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And we may pursue instead uh, faithfulness uh, and chastity, those old-fashioned words, uh, and holiness in all of our lives. Our message even then is not you bad people. It's come and find one who forgives and changes, one who cleanses and renews. Religion without repentance is the second mark of the false teacher. Our third one, they are popular uh, preachers. Uh, Tell me what I want to hear. Uh, If you are a false teacher, uh, you will get a wide hearing. Uh, they are. Uh, they appear to be life-giving. Look at verse 17. They appear to be springs, that is, uh, sources of life-giving water. Uh, they appear to be, like the eastern seaboard of Australia needs at the moment, uh, a wonderful wet storm to come in the great heat and uh, uh, fires that are beginning uh, to burn out of control. But actually, on closer inspection, you come up to the spring and there's no water in it. Uh, and the mist clears... And doesn't bring the rainstorm. They have the appearance of life, but no substance, no reality when you chase down into the foundations. And so once again, blackest darkness reserved for them. That note of judgment uh, continues. Verse 18, their mouth empty, boastful words. Look at me and my wisdom. I hear this message that sounds so wise and clever and contemporary but actually is nothing more uh, than a thinly baptized uh, justification for human sinfulness. They are most effective, at the end of verse 18, uh, amongst those who are just taking baby steps in Christian faith, so easily whisked away, uh, because what they say is, uh, yes, you can have Christ, yes, you can have your sins. It's always been a powerfully... Uh, um, a powerful message uh, that entices those who are just beginning to escape. They promise freedom. That's a message for the 21st century, isn't there? While they themselves are slaves 
to depravity. What did the Lord Jesus say? If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Often I've heard it sung, that last part is taken, the truth will set you free, but what is the truth but the truth about who you are, who you identify as, what you choose to be. That's your truth, and you live it just the way you please. That's what the false teachers will say to us. It's not what Jesus said. He said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, the real truth about who you are, because it's the real truth about who I am, Jesus says. And when you know me, and you know me in faith and repentance, in grace and in truth, well, then that truth will set you free forever. Paul puts it like this at the end of Romans 6. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. We want to believe, don't we, that we can be truly free. Um, Free to serve ourselves. Free to be the people we want to be. The Bible is much more realistic about this. We are either slaves to sin and free from God, or we're slaves to God and free from sin that leads to death and destruction. So whose slave are you, is the question for all of us. None of us are truly free in the sense that we determine who we are and find in ourselves salvation. We're all slaves. We're slaves to sin by nature. And when we come to Christ and know him truly, well then we are set free from that slavery in order to become slaves again of a perfect master. They don't want to be among those who deny the sovereign Lord who bought us. They want to be those who praise him and say, here am I, Lord, send me. Our true freedom is found in service to our Savior. And then finally, and very briefly, they've turned their backs on Jesus Christ himself. They are tragic and dangerous warnings, these false uh, teachers. Uh, Jesus Uh, told the story of uh, the unclean spirit that uh, comes out of a man. It goes through arid places uh, seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits than itself, uh, more wicked than itself, and they go and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. This is how it will be with this wicked generation, Jesus says. These false teachers have a little bit of the Bible, have uh, grace but no repentance, have freedom, be the person you want to be. It's enticing because it's half true. And yet when they themselves practice it or when you yourself listen to it and believe it, in the end you will find it inoculates you against the truth of who God really is. In Jesus Christ, the last condition of that person is worse than the first. Or as Peter says, it would be better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs and look where we return to the sacred 
command to God's word that they've turned away from and that was passed on to them in order that they might pass it on unadulterated. But so they have failed to do. And so those awful uh, proverbs. Now, the first one, as a dog returns to its vomit, Proverbs 26, 11, so a fool repeats his folly. Half Christianity is no Christianity at all. Half the gospel is no gospel at all. Now, we need, friends, to be very careful that we submit ourselves to God's word, that we combine repentance with faith. That we hear what God's word says, not what our itching ears want to hear. For then we shall find true freedom in the service of our Lord. And we shall avoid that tragic end of those false teachers. Will you listen carefully for the sake of your own souls, for the sake of those amongst whom God has placed you, that you might be a true witness to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, our sovereign Lord who has brought us. I'm going to close with the words uh, in a prayer uh, of uh, the old prayer book. It contains the wonderful phrase, whose service is perfect freedom. Let's take a moment of quiet and then we'll pray. O God, who art the author of peace and lover of concord, in knowledge of whom standeth our eternal life, whose service is perfect freedom. Defend us, thy humble servants, in all assaults of our enemies, that we, surely trusting in thy defense, may not fear the power of any adversaries through the might of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.